Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me, as always, is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics over at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Crisson. How you doing, brother? Checking in from Blacksburg, Virginia, before I head out of here on this uh, President's Day weekend. You know, Monday, President's Day. And, you know, this really, Gary, was the worst we've seen Pitt since 1-3. and three. Since the beginning of the season, what we saw at Virginia Tech. You know, Pitt comes out, they don't shoot it well particularly from outside. They don't defend well, obviously, but, you know, you can credit Mike Young and the Virginia Tech coaching staff, 79-72 over the Panthers, for really just the dismantling of what has led Pitt to most of its success this year. And there's plenty of talking points to this game for how ugly it was and for how much, you know, the officials wanted to eat the whistle throughout the course of the game for the, for the tune of 44 fouls being called. Yeah, it was a, a sloppy game, I would say, but I think it, it looked intentionally sloppy from the Virginia's tech side of things. Um, teams are starting to learn if they bruise it up against Pitt, they're gonna they're gonna get some success. And um, the Virginia Tech did something I thought was smart. I haven't seen too many people try it. They stepped out on every three. And they were, every time they caught the ball, somebody was there. And it took Pitt a while to start learning to go inside to Federico, Federico. And they did that successfully for a while until Virginia Tech managed to get them into foul trouble. And they got into big-time foul trouble. (laughs) Who didn't get into big-time foul trouble? I got into big-time foul trouble just from sitting in my seat, you know, above the one basket. I mean, look. Let's just get this officiating thing out of the way real quick because what I look for in any sport, any league, any official, I don't care if it's T-ball or if it's NFL football, I just want consistency. If you're going to call the game close, call the game close both sides. If you're going to let them play, then let both sides play. That's how I like my officiating. You can call it how you want, you know, in baseball. You know, with umpires, if you're going to call outside corner strikes, then hitters better start swinging outside corner because he's going to call it. You know, with football, if if a, an official's calling pass interference really touchy, then you got to be careful as a wide receiver and as a DB. 
basketball, some games get called touchier than others. This one was a prime case of it. And the foul trouble hurt Pitt. Let's let's not act like it didn't. Let's not just say, well, Virginia Tech beat Pitt. Pitt didn't play well. Foul trouble hurt Pitt. When you have to sit Hinson and Federico, Hinson, by the way, played probably his worst game of the year, yeah. uh, by the way, and he fouled out. So when you have to play Hinson and Federico and you have to you have to put them on the bench for an extended period of time in the second half when you're trying to make a comeback, Jeff Capel said it. He had to deploy some quote-unquote odd lineups out there. So, again, a credit to Virginia Tech for first off taking Pitt out of their own comfort zone, which is the first and foremost thing that you could take from this. And then you can look at, well, yes, there were some other factors that contributed to it, but also – Three of 18 from three. This is a team that loves to thrive on the three, and they create opportunities off of made threes, and they like to run in transition, but when Virginia Tech and your opponent's making shots, you're not able to run in transition. So just a, a good job by Virginia Tech at taking Pitt out of what they do best, and then obviously they had to deal with a little bit more than that. Yeah, and you take all those numbers into account, and the one that I think – probably shocks you the most when you add them up if you really look at the stat sheet first in this contest and then you see that they only lost by seven that might be the most shocking number i agree with that at one point i looked up and i said why is this this close it feel it felt like virginia tech won this by maybe 15 you know it, it felt like at points that virginia tech was just so far in, in a way in control and you got the credit Pitt for showing that fight. They never gave up in this game, which is the, the good thing. You know, they don't give up. They found ways to, you know, punch back. They kept trying to claw back in and, and they fought until the very end. But, you know, when Federico gets called for three fouls in the span of 23 seconds, I've never seen anything like that. At one point, there were three fouls called on Federico within the span of 23 seconds of the game. And then yeah. 50 seconds after Blake Hinson checks back in at that final stretch when he had four fouls. He and Federico came back in. There were, I believe it was like six minutes and 40-some seconds left in the game. But it was the final stand, essentially, for Pitt. Blake Henson fouls out 50 seconds into him being on the floor. And again, he had an awful game offensively. So when you're already thin on the bench, quite frankly, when you're not playing Nate Santos, when you're trying to figure out the twins and stretch out your lineup a little bit, you know, this is the kind of thing that happens. So, you know, Pitt can regroup three Easily winnable games coming up here. Uh, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, and then at Notre Dame before the season finale at Miami. So I said this before. I'll say it again. If in this final five-game stretch, including Saturday against Virginia Tech, if Pitt win three and two, that's fine as long as, so you know, so long as the losses are at Virginia Tech and Miami. Those are the only two games Pitt can afford to lose in this final stretch run not just for NCAA tournament solidification procedures, but you want the double buy. You want a top four seed in the ACC. And I lined this up in my follow-up column for today on Sunday. You know, there's essentially three tiers in the ACC right now. And Pitt's in that first tier, along with Virginia, Miami, NC State, and Clemson, right there at the top. And then you have, like, Duke, you have North Carolina, you have Syracuse, Wake Forest. You have some lurkers there in that second tier. And then that third tier is, you know, your Notre Dames, your Louisvilles, your, your bottom feeders, essentially. So, you know, Pitt lost this game. It's a quadrant one loss. It's not killing them. They only dropped two spots in the net rankings. So this wasn't damning to the entire course of the season, which is a good thing. And another good thing you can take from this is that 
you can't really expect to play to for Pitt to play like this again. I, this was their worst game they played since I think the Michigan game, and that goes all the way back to November. I mean, Corey, I I think lessons in college basketball are important, and getting taught a lesson right now with only what four games left, that's a good thing. I I think it's yeah four games left. I like seeing them get punched in the mouth a little bit now as opposed to come tournament time because Virginia Tech is the type of team that can come into the tournament and do some damage out of nowhere just because certain seniors start to perform better or somebody shoots great or they're they're a talented team. They just aren't a deep, talented team. So um, no shame in losing this game, but at the same time, Better to get punched in the mouth in the regular season than it is the tournament. Let's not forget, too, Virginia Tech won the ACC tournament last year. I think we lose sight of that. And Mike Young has this team clicking. They have this team moving. I I know they've had some really tough losses this year, but Cassell Coliseum down here is a really tough barn to play in. You know, you get Enter Sandman going right before tip-off. The crowd's nuts. I, I really like this arena, by the way, if you've never been down here. It's I'm a fan of the one section bowl arenas, you know, like the big house in Michigan. This was exactly like that. Just one like entire tier in the entire building. And you were kind of on top of each other, you know, quite frankly, seating wise, you know, as media folk, we were sitting behind the one basket and there were fans, you know, five feet behind my back, just, just hanging out. It wasn't like Cameron where the student section was literally like, throwing fingers over my shoulder. That was that was really close quarters. This wasn't like that, but this was a really good college basketball environment. It's just a shame that, you know, referees had to eat some whistles for dinner and, you know, we had to stop the game quite a bit and pick out into some, some trouble both foul-wise and from a scheme perspective. Well, let's take a quick break here and we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about the Boston College game. You know, um, I think... It shows the dichotomy of handling your business versus not handling your business. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and welcome back to the HTP Podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you. We're going to back up a little bit and talk about the Boston College matchup that happened on Tuesday. Um, I mean, quite honestly, Corey, this is what you want Pitt to do to teams that are in that lower tier. And Boston College and Virginia Tech are very similar squads, really, this year as far as record goes, and even really the way they play. Boston College was a little more physical early on. They just couldn't sustain it, and Pitt didn't take the bait on the fouls, and uh, they shot better. I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can say there was any difference aside from those. 
They shot better and they didn't take a lot of fouls. And the way that they neutralized Quinton Post underneath, that was the, the number one key. That was the number one factor for Boston College that you really had to find a way to take out of the game. Uh, post seven points, two of nine shooting, fouled out with 338 left. Federico, meanwhile, 10 points, seven rebounds, three blocks, plus 25 in that game. So Pitt controlled what they had to control underneath. They started off that first half relatively slow, um, you know, within the first 10 minutes, and then they just found another gear. And it's no coincidence that Jamari's Burton wore a headband for those first 10 minutes and made like two <laughs> of seven from the field and then got rid of the headband and then Pitt outscored Boston College 42-24. So, you know, maybe it was that. headband magic. I don't know what it was. Look, when, when you're covering blowouts, and at this point, you know, prior to Saturday, I, I covered two out of three blowouts. And it's like, you have to find a creative way to explain this. You know, it's great that Pitt's doing this. And, you know, Blake Henson's shooting like like 46% from three during that winning streak. They won six in a row against ACC competition to get to 19 wins on the year. But, you know, it, against Louisville, I wrote Harlem Globetrotters here. I wrote on Jamari Spurton's headband. You know, you got to keep it creative, Gary. You got to do something. And, and you're right. They all can't be Harlem Globetrotters, even though there are times it looks that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that the teams in the ACC they're facing are are trying to out-physical Pitt. And, and I think they can largely be successful with that if, if they have the horses at all. So there are some, some cracks in the armor there. I saw you wrote a piece about, you know, how, is this the blueprint for how to beat Pitt? And, I mean, give some thoughts on that. Do you think this is repeatable? Do you think this is something that opponents are going to take into the future contests? This has to be matchup dependent in some ways, too, because let's face it, Virginia Tech has the personnel that, let's say in the ACC tournament, who knows who it could be, you know, another in that third tier, if you will, type team, who has the personnel that could do this against Pitt? Because we saw this against Clemson. We saw the, we saw this against Duke in those two losses. In Virginia Tech, they found it more of, getting physical with Pitt at the point of the three-point line rather than letting Pitt shoot their threes per usual and then absorb the contact underneath and stop them from inside and just force them to make a bunch of threes. This was a little bit different. This was Virginia Tech taking off the three-pointer. Pitt only attempted six three-pointers in the first half. So you take off the three-pointer, you force Pitt to drive inside, and that forces some wonky shots, that forces foul calls, that forces – you know, Virginia Tech taking charges. I believe Greg Elliott's first three fouls on him were offensive fouls. So Virginia Tech did a good job of, of sealing that deal in that way. And look, the physical teams have given Pitt troubles this season. Again, Clemson, Duke are two big examples of that. Michigan, if you want to count them a bit with, with Hunter Dickinson earlier in the season. So – you know, Pitt is a finesse-style basketball team. They love to run in transition. They love to outspeed you. They love to, you know, get to that three-point line, make their three-pointers, and get back on the other end and not have to really work for second chance and work for third chance and have to muscle you underneath. We've seen points where Federico, like at the, in the North Carolina game at Chapel Hill, where he's taken on Armando Baycott and won those matchups. 
Federico has won matchups. He he just did it Tuesday against Boston College against Post. But then there are games like against Virginia Tech, where when Virginia Tech's taking away the best thing that you do offensively, Federico has to step up. Federico has to play better. He scored, and he looked okay offensively, but he also turned the ball three times in the first half and four <laughs> times overall, which led to Virginia Tech runs, and, and Virginia Tech had some big runs in the first half because of turnovers. So if you're going to – that's why what kind of led me to writing about that, so to speak, recipe or the blueprint because come tournament time with how thin Pitt's bench is and if Cable has to roll out these quote-unquote odd combinations of lineups now, then is that the secret? Is that what it's going to take to beat a team like Pitt who loves to run, who loves to shoot, who loves to get in transition – and loves to just outrun you out of the gym. Yeah, it's it. It seems like it. It just also seems like most of the time Pitt is able to find a way to squeak out of that or around it. And this time it just didn't work. There was nothing. You know, I mean, first of all, you're right about the referees, and I would never just complain about the referees because they. I thought they were bad on both sides of things. But Pitt's a team that thrives on rhythm. And I don't know how you build any kind of rhythm when there's a whistle like that every couple seconds. I mean, it it just seemed like neither team was really like that. It was more about set plays coming off of whistles than it was transition. And that just doesn't play well to Pitt's strengths. Yeah, set plays are not not Pitt's strength, plain and simple. Look at inbounds plays how much they struggle often with those you know just the simple inbounds whether it's under the basket or off the sideline or wherever it might be you know I think Pitt has capabilities obviously of running the the half court offense and you know having to run set plays and all that kind of stuff but when you're unable like you said to kind of just have that energy and the word was rhythm the word that we used after the game to Jeff Cable, to Nellie Cummings, to Jamarius Burton, who we got to talk to after, was rhythm and pace and timing and flow. It, this game didn't have flow on either side because of the constant stoppages, which put Pitt at a slight disadvantage. And then from there, Virginia Tech had a, a really good game plan in place. Now, I wouldn't expect this to repeat itself until at minimum against Miami. Because, quite frankly, these next three teams that Pitt's going to face just don't have the personnel. Syracuse might if Judah Mintz is having a good game and he and Joe Girard are flowing in that in that backcourt. But I don't see how, you know, we talked about this before, what teams could realistically beat Pitt in the ACC tournament. I don't see how anybody outside of that first tier with the Miamis, the, the Virginias, the North Carolina States, the Clemsons – could realistically beat Pitt in the NCAA or the NC, the uh, ACC tournament, excuse me, by this point. It's just this was a matchup issue. This was a uh, uh, a flow issue. This was a rhythm issue. Part of that was on Pitt, but also credit Virginia Tech for making their shots and, and doing what they had to do. I think that pretty much wraps up those contests. I would like to take another quick break here, and when we come back, let's talk a little bit about the bench that is and isn't Uh, whether it shows up or doesn't it affects the outcome of these games big time 
All right, welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. I'm Gary Morgan. This is Corey Christen. We're going to start talking about the bench a little bit because the bench, it, it's going to be important for this team. And we've been talking about all year how short they are, you know, on the bench. Um, Corey, are we starting to see them pay the price at this point for a tough ACC schedule and and being short on substitutions? Or is this just a bad game? You know, <laughs> because if Nike Sabandi doesn't perform off the bench, there's usually no bench contribution, really. No tangible bench contribution. The minutes look like they're up for Guillermo and Jorge because of foul trouble, right? Federico gets into foul trouble. He plays yeah. only 26 minutes. Blake Hinson only plays 25 minutes. Greg Elliott plays only 27 minutes. So when you're in foul trouble and you have to adjust and play these again, as Jeff Capel said, odd lineups, this is what happens. And you need those guys to step up. Now, Nike plays 23 minutes. He scores eight points. He, he shoots three of five from the field. Okay, fine. Guillermo plays 14 minutes, three of five from the field, eight points, and six rebounds. He leads the team in rebounding. All right, great. Jorge plays 10 minutes, one of four from the field. He made a three-pointer, and he grabs one rebound, had an assist. And I can't recall a possession where one twin did not end up on the floor. Like, it just seemed like they were getting knocked around. It really did. And again, these are two freshmen. They're thin. They're not, they need to bulk up. And they're probably playing sooner than, you know, Jeff Capel or whoever it may be wanted them to play because there's no John Hughley. There's no Will Jeffries. There's, you know, a lot of shuffling to go around in that front court. And this is what you get. The most confounding thing to me was Nate Santos not playing, really. I mean, when you're in that kind of trouble and you need some spark and you need some offense and you need some athleticism, so to speak, that's a guy that you can look to. I I, I mean, I thought there was going to be instances where at least when Blake Henson was down or maybe even when Elliott was out, that you were going to see Nate Santos start to run with the three and the four and that JB could be your primary ball handler and, you know, essentially run Nelly at the two. But they didn't do that. So, you know, it leads me to wonder, what are they thinking about Nate Santos? How, how highly do they think of him to be able to perform in those situations? I don't think he's hurt, and I don't think there's anything wrong, so to speak, with him. He was there. You know, he was there. He was warmed up. He was active. He was dressed. He was everything. The only one that was um, not active outside of the usuals that we know of was K.J. Marshall. K.J. didn't dress. So... Pitt played everybody minus Aiden Fish that it had available to it. And in games like this where you need a bench, you need some presences to pick you up, to pick up those starters when Blake Henson's having his worst game of the year and they're not there, that just adds to the issue. And I hope, for Pitt's sake, that this is not a recurring issue going down the stretch. How many times do we see ACC tournament teams and NCAA tournament teams make these runs because they're deep, because they have bench depth, because they're able to have not just a Nike Sabandi. Nike is 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 a plug that every team should have, someone that can come off the bench and score for you and and holds everything together. It doesn't let the team fall apart when its best players are sitting. But you need something after that, you know, Jorge and Guillermo played okay 
for the most part. But there wasn't much of the scoring from them other than a couple of buckets. You know, it would be okay if Blake Hinson didn't shoot 1-4 from the field. It would be okay if Greg Elliott, you know, wasn't playing just 27 minutes as your starting two guard. It would be okay if Nike wasn't just 3-5 from the field if he scored more than eight points off the bench. So, look, down the stretch, is the bench a concern? Yes. And this shouldn't be news to anybody. Anybody that's watched this pit team knows the bench is thin, knows the bench needs help, knows that there needs to be something with this bench that changes before tournament time starts or else there there will be games like this. And if Pitt has to get in another game like this, you see the result from Saturday. Well, you already brought it up with with uh, Nate Santos. I mean, I was asking the question myself, you know, what what is going on here? I mean, certainly you'd think he'd come in before Jorge. You know, um, again, not that Jorge played horrible or anything. I'm just – Nate Santos has a different skill set, you know, like, and a skill set that I think they kind of needed a little bit. <laughs> um, that mid-range shooting was about all that Virginia Tech was giving them that was easy, and that's kind of what he does. So, I don't know. It seemed like an odd choice to not at least use everybody that was, that you have available when you're struggling like that. But, uh you know, I'm not going to question the guy who I think has coached this team into a really good position right now. There must be some reason that he didn't use them. Um, I could, don't know. Be a mat- could be a matchup thing. You know, there, there's just times where coaching staffs will look at the game plan, will look at the matchup, will look at the opposition and feel that in moment, you know, they're not looking at, oh, is Nate Santos going to play five minutes? You know, they're not looking at that. They're looking at feel. They're thinking on the fly. They're thinking in real time. And in real time, they felt that the Twins being on the floor together for that really long portion where Blake Hinson and Federico were on the bench with foul trouble, they thought that was the call. And and it's fine because Pitt kind of held in there. To their credit, they held in there. Virginia Tech never really, like, blew them out. You know, it felt like it at times. But again – you said it in the first segment. When you look at this box score and you say, whoa, it's only a seven-point loss, like you don't think it was only a seven-point loss. You would have thought this was by 15 or 20. Yeah, it felt that way. And I think the, the first half uh, performance really set this game up. You know, 11 points is a lot to try to overcome in a college basketball game. So uh, Pitt won the second half of this game, 42 to 38, but – that doesn't matter when you're down by 11 at the half. And I think uh, lesson learned probably they let themselves get beat up a little too much in the first. Um, maybe even should have made some of the changes to the Diaz Grandbrothers a little earlier. You know, if you wanted to just slip away from letting some of your bigger guys get into foul trouble, they were clearly just piling them up. You know, let some other guys eat some of those early on. But – We'll see. Again, I think it was an odd situation. And, Corey, I don't really have anything else. I think I'm good if you're good. We are slowly getting into more football stuff, too. Just a quick note. You know, you've probably seen throughout the last few weeks here where we've been talking to some of the newcomers, some of the early enrollees for the Pitt football program. So 
you know, that's expected to continue until spring football, really. The spring football schedule starts mid-March. Um, of course, we're going to be pretty ramped up here with Pitt being maybe favored in the ACC tournament still. You know, they still could get that double bye. They still could get, you know, a, a spot in that quarterfinal automatically. And then, you know, who knows from there. And then I still am out to venture that Pitt's going to make the NCAA tournament. This loss didn't kill them in the net. Only dropped them two spots. Quadrant one road loss. So we're going to be pretty ramped up here, you know, come mid-March and into mid-April before the uh, school year ends with, with Pitt hoops and then football starting up. So definitely stay tuned for that just as a look ahead. Absolutely, man. So, hey, without further ado, let's go ahead and keep it punchy today. H2P. H2P. 